Hi, I'm Autumn Keynes, and you're listening to Higher Ed Tech, the podcast where we talk about educational technology in the context of higher education. I'm here with Byron Rausch, Nicole Kraft, and Corey Tressler, and today's topic for episode number two is going to be social networking, social media. I think we're going to start off by talking about how we can use social media in the classroom, and I'm going to turn to Nicole because um, she uses social networking in her class. Maybe you could just kind of tell us a little bit about that. So you teach journalism. I do. Um, And the philosophy that we take is social media is an incredibly powerful tool for communicating both internally and externally. And it's a responsibility um, that journalists will be uh, utilizing as they move forward into careers. And so it's our job to teach them how to use it well. Um, My philosophy is that uh, they're either going to use it for good or they're going to use it for evil. And if we teach them to use it for good, they will. Um, So one of the things that we've become most known for is I use Twitter for attendance and I um, encourage, I don't want to put require because there there is an opt-out for anyone who's uncomfortable, but strongly encourage students to um, tweet things that are interesting about the classes that we are engaged in. So they'll talk about different subjects, they'll try to get people who are experts to talk with them. We had a situation recently where we watched a film and we tweeted about it and the subject of the film retweeted, us, retweeted our post. So um, what we're trying to do is interact with the real world in a professional way to learn to write concisely to learn um, to be the person that we would like others to uh, perceive us to be um, online because really you don't ever have a chance to make a first impression anymore. Your online persona is the, the perception that you'll have when you're getting ready to leave school and get a job, so we need to build that here. So we utilize uh, Twitter a lot. We do assignments with Twitter. Um, I have a one assignment I, I call Pin the Tail on the Campus, where I send them out with iPads, and they're responsible for finding story ideas, tweeting out those ideas, um, reporting, utilizing Twitter, taking pictures, shooting Vine videos, um, recording audio, and we'll push all that out on social media before they write a full story. Um, We've also been utilizing Periscope recently, so we went on a field trip uh, last week to a radio station. I tuned in. Thank you. (laughs) And we used Periscope, and it was great because, I mean, we had questions coming from the real world, and I was asking um, the person who was touring us over at WOSU. And and we've really, what we try to look for is is we try every form of social media in some way. Some of them stick, some of them don't. I I remember in 2010 saying to them, I'm going to teach you this Twitter thing. I don't know if it's going to stick, but let's see what it does. And of course, now we use that quite a bit. Um, but we, what we're learning is the social media that, uh, that is um, utilized by college students is different than that that's utilized by younger students and different than that that's utilized by uh, people who are already in the working world. And we need to kind of balance um, the knowledge that we try to, to instill in them based on the usage that they're going to have. So I have a couple questions. So first off, I want to I'd like to include the pin the tail on the campus video in the show notes. That would be great. If at all, so people can take a look and see what that's like. Um, but a question for you would be kind of how do you teach them how to do this? How do you introduce the concept of how you're going to use Twitter in class, for example? Um, especially students, if they're already using Twitter with their friends or Instagram or, or whatever, they're using it in a completely different way. So how do you kind of get them to shift their thinking? 
the first thing we do is uh, we break it down from the very basic elements. So what is the picture that you have on Twitter? Is it the picture of you um, on the beach with a beer? Is it, um, you know, you with your dog? How will someone perceive of you when they see that photo? And we um, encourage them to put a, not a super professional picture, but one that's single so that it's easily identifiable as them and something that would reflect them as the person that they'd like to be. We do the same thing with their cover image to make sure that it is something that is, um, you know, I'm going to call it quasi-professional because, you know, part of it is we want to be personal. We want to appeal to people, but we don't want to show a side of ourselves. Maybe that's not the best. The Twitterography is an incredibly important piece of the puzzle. So that 100 and you get 160 characters there and that's how people find you. So to put um, links in there, to put hashtags, to, um, to really identify yourself in a way that others who are uh, similarly minded or people that you'd like to be attracted to um, the tweets that you'll be providing that you, they can find you there and then we start them tweeting so initially they'll start with something that's fairly superfluous and um, I'll come back to them on the next one and kind of give them an example and I'll show them from past, past classes ones that have been successful uh, invariably we also um, use hashtags so every class has its own hashtag and so we can communicate with each other we can follow each other and we use hashtags for a lot of things so uh, my students the other day came up with their own hashtag for a class assignment we were doing and they said hey this is we're going to use um, this particular hashtag just for this assignment and everybody jumped on when they go and do extra credit they use their own hashtags so we're teaching them kind of these building blocks of at messages and direct messages and then we have them post and and I tell them um, I'll be your Twitter fairy and so when I see them post things that are questionable or you know I say are you really sure this is something that you want to be posting so to a degree it's learning on the job but um, really they're more timid than you might expect as they get started and, and uh, if we can directionalize that energy for the most part they really do stay on task. Follow-up question and I think Corey or Autumn might have something to add to this too. The other shift really is kind of the shift to an open pedagogy, open process. So people are kind of I've followed your hashtags before to see what's going on because I've heard you talk about it. And people are kind of working on ideas for their stories or for their class projects and kind of workshopping these ideas. But they're not doing it in class. They're not doing it like in a booth at a dinner table. They're doing it openly. So how do you kind of prepare them to engage or put things out there on the wider audience but still give them kind of a safe space with which to do that? So the idea of, of the safe space, I think, comes from um, respecting their views and opinions and encouraging them to respect that of others. Um, like I mentioned earlier, not everyone has to engage. So if they choose not to, we give them the opportunity not to. Um, we also try to, um, to frame it in a way that what they're doing is reaching out to the world. It, it's sort of like putting your toe in the mainstream and seeing what's out there. Uh, we try to focus their approaches in a way that they'll get responses back. So it's not just, hey, I want to broadcast this and, and put myself out there. It's more, I want to engage you in a dialogue. And um, you know, we're, another project we're working on, um, we're doing a debate, and they needed an expert in, in this particular topic, which had to do with sports. And, and uh, so they reached out to some fairly prominent sports personalities who tweeted back at them within 15 minutes. So you know, when you recognize that, you start to see other people are seeing this, and it really builds in this kind of um, self-restraint and, and a professionalism that we cultivate through um, the dialogues that we have both inside and outside of class. And I think um, something that's really important in this conversation 
that both of you have sort of focused on, or actually all three of you have focused on, or at least elaborated to or pointed to, is preparing the students on how to use it. And sort of, Nicole is describing really, really well a couple different things. One, that they are integrating this into journalism, that Twitter and social media and social networking has become part of the industry. So there's that element that they need to learn how to use that tool to become professionals. But the other thing she's teaching them is how to use them as, use it as students and how to communicate with each other, how to do research and find authentic voices or first person. Uh, that's really incredible that she's doing both. Um, a lot of other examples, they're maybe not doing quite so much of both. So for example, there's a chemistry professor here at Ohio State uses Twitter more in, for the second side of it. So he's not teaching them how to use social media to be better chemists eventually in the world. But what he does is he uses chemistry from when they're preparing for an exam or they have a question about something in the, his chemistry course. They use that more as their discussion board, not only to the group using hashtags and things like that, but really to the world, that anybody could answer their questions that say, I have a problem with this aspect of organic chemistry or whatever. Now, I'm not a chemist, so I don't even know what their questions would be or even how to read them, probably. But they use it that way. And that's something I think is really powerful because I have seen examples where they use it to create sort of their study guide, where at the nearing the midterm or the end of the semester or whatever the case may be, all the students, the, the professor has to set this up and say, okay, tweet to the group, this hashtag or whatever, your questions. What are the sticky points, you know, for this exam that we've covered that you that you just can't grasp or you have very specific questions for? And I think that's a really, really interesting way to do it. The other one that's been used a lot that way is sort of a study group or a community building thing is Facebook. It's sort of Facebook groups around a course, um, which I think has popped up a few times here at OSU, but also in other universities around these big general education courses mm -hmm. where you're one of a thousand or one of 500 or in a section or what, that can be very intimidating. What some students have done have created Facebook groups to create almost like miniature sort of communities within this broader community to support one another so they don't get lost as a number or in these just massive classes that, that aren't, that are super efficient for universities, but maybe not super effective in the community development side. So that's a really interesting and sort of a homegrown or a self-spurned or developed thing that students have done to sort of help sort of support each other. So I think that's really, really interesting. But I think what's really unique to Nicole and why you've received some press about it is you're doing both. You're teaching them how to use it for a profession and their future, but also how to learn and how to collaborate together. Right, because I got to wonder if they're tweeting out about... Um you know, their coursework, but they've got some crazy photo up or they've got some crazy name yep. that mm -hmm. they use. Like that doesn't really look very professional. It could really kind of reflect on them bad, which makes me want to bring it back to the research. So um, the uh, ECAR study on students and how they use technology um, for 2013, they found that there was like a 60% um, of students that did not want to have any kind of bleed over between their you know, personal social life and their academic life on on these social networking and then this last year for 2014 it went up and now it's at like 72 percent um but I, I think what i'm hearing from you guys is that even though they might not want it maybe maybe they need it right <laughs> they need to be they need to be taught how to use these things in a in a professional way many students still have the illusion really that they can be private online mm. and the fact mm -hmm. is they can't be 
And even if you have a private um, Twitter and, and you lock down your Facebook and, you know, any protections that you think you're going to have are a single tweet away or, a, you know, a single retweet away from someone exposing something that you may not want exposed. And, and I tell my students, if it's private, write it in a diary, put it under your bed. That's the only way that something's truly private. Right. So I think we have a responsibility to recognize that this is um, the, the way that this generation communicates. And... You know, for me, it's proven to be incredibly beneficial to stay in touch with them over time. The last thing I do before I go to bed is I check my email and I check Twitter. And sometimes I'll just see at midnight one sentence that says, I'm really stressed out. And what that enables me to do is to go back to them and say, I'm hearing you. I, I respect your feelings. I'm listening. Let's talk about this. And we don't have to wait until we have the next class or we don't have to wait until things get out of control for them for me to start to address it. So they are on social media. They are talking to their friends. They are utilizing it to communicate when we would have talked face to face or we would have used the phone or, you know, tools that they, you know, modes of, of uh, communication they may consider to be antiquated at this point. Um, and I think meeting them where they want to communicate is the same as meeting them where they want to learn. That's our obligation as educators. And this may be a little bit cynical, but I think also one of the things I've witnessed from students is there's a reluctance to change from kind of a known to an unknown. So a class where you sit, sit and watch a PowerPoint that's, that's known, they know exactly what they need to do to achieve a certain grade in the class class where they're workshopping ideas on Twitter, not so much, you know, so there, there is a comfort ac aspect. Some of that is legitimate because there is, you know, there's a lot of risk, there's some vulnerability involved. Um, but the, there is a reluctance, I think, also to kind of shift modalities like that. Okay, well, thank you guys so much. This has been a great conversation about how to use social media in the classroom or in classes. We're going to continue this conversation in our next episode where we're going to talk about using social media outside of classes for professional development, for um, in, in conferences, and, and, and maybe even some dangers in uh, using social media. We're going to talk about um, Yik Yak a little bit and using anonymity online. So tune in to our next episode, which will be number three at edtech.fm. And like us on iTunes. And follow us on Twitter, since we're talking about Twitter, at at higher underscore ed underscore tech. Have a great week.